Emily Rice here. Perhaps some of you know me as DJ Carly Sagan, but in my day job, I'm professor of astronomy at the CUNY College of Staten Island and a research associate at the American Museum of Natural History. This is Star Talk All Stars. I'm your all star host tonight with my comedic co host in the studio, Chuck Nice. Hey, Emily, how are you? Good to and be here. This episode of Star Talk All Stars, we're talking about citizen science. Yes. As Very exciting. Military science. <laughs> oh, I believe they used to call them the gentleman science. Gentleman's the gentleman science. scientists is what they, I think they used to call them because before there was a more formal coalescing of scientists. Science. Uh, right. Uh, you know, you had guys who basically like a Ben Franklin, yeah. you know, who was indeed a scientist and an inventor or, you know, all these, all these uh, very successful men uh, who. Literally almost only dudes. Right. Right, literally almost only dudes. Like but wealthy people, right? They were all wealthy. They could afford, right. And, and what they did was they did, they did science, you know, and, and, and invented yeah. things and made discoveries. But at the same time, you know, it's not like they were uh, a scientist the way like, oh, I went to school to be a company. So it's kind of cool. And I think that we're seeing a resurgence of that today. I, th I think you're seeing more and more people who are just like, you know what? I want to be, I don't care what it is. I do. I want science to be a part of it. And yeah. Uh, we had I think it. that's different than the way it was before because before you didn't, you know, pe not everybody could read. Right. And so the science kind of stayed in maybe the ivory tower. Yeah, exactly. Talking about academia or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but it's been democratized now and yeah. uh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so yeah. we have an expert guest to help us figure this out. We have Karen Masters joining us via Skype from the UK. Karen is an astronomer at the University of Portsmouth. Yay. Right? Your official title. So Dr. Karen Masters, of course. Everybody right. gets a PhD. They hand them out at some kind. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, actually, I have to say thank you to Karen because, Karen, I, I don't know if you remember this. You, you probably do, but um, maybe you don't. We'll, we'll find out. You hosted me at Cornell. So you did your PhD. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you did your PhD at Cornell, um, home yeah. of Carl Sagan also. Um, but... He, when I visited, so the great thing about doing a PhD is when you when you get accepted to different PhD programs, a lot of the times you get to go visit. And so Cornell was one of the places that I got to visit. And Karen actually hosted me when I visited way back when. I won't say the year. Um, but it was also awesome because you were house-sitting yeah. for your advisors. I was. So we had this crazy, massive house in yeah, the woods, like, right? Yeah, like out in the woods yeah, in Ithaca, was... New York. I was terrified, but I had such a great... <laughs> so I didn't end up going to Cornell for graduate school, but I had a fantastic time at Cornell that it was actually a really difficult decision to make. I ended up going to UCLA, but I'll blame that on having wow. grown up in upstate New York. I know, yeah. right? So I was, yeah. as much as I wanted to go to Cornell, I was bolted uh, bolted for some sunshine for yeah. at least a little while. Right. But that was, you know, a long time ago, and now Karen and I have kind of intersected again in terms of science we might talk to that a little bit later but uh talk about that a little bit later but karen is here to talk to us about citizen science because she was really in in this burgeoning field on just about the ground floor wow yeah we have really an, an og expert here so now citizen science is it um and i'm just uh just for my own clarification is it a movement is it a um an organization is yeah. it like what what exactly how would you exactly describe citizen science so there's actually there's quite a lot of debate about this and like different <laughs> people have different kind of definitions of citizen science um i tend to think it's just any 
any project where people who don't necessarily have to have a degree aren't professional scientists can contribute to the science. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so what was yeah. your citizen science? What citizen science project do you work on? So um, the main one I work on is Galaxy Zoo, uh, where we show images of galaxies over the internet and we ask people to classify them. Um, and we then combine their classifications. We usually get 20 to 40 uh, people to look at each galaxy. So we get a really good consensus classification um, and then uh, combine that. And I, I do research uh, with those classifications. So people look at pictures of galaxies. Are these like Hubble Space Telescope pictures of galaxies? Are they? Um, yeah. <laughs> so we've done, yeah, we've done loads now. Galaxy Zoo um, will be 10 this summer, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we started with the Sloan Digital Sky Survey. Um, we've also done um, all of the public Hubble Space Telescope images. Um, oh. The UK, uh, UKID survey, um, which was a UK infrared telescope survey. Um, we Right now we have DECALS, which is a dark energy survey uh, camera. So really the, any camera that takes mm. pictures of galaxies, you have people. And how do you classify a galaxy? Like, do you have to have, you know, is there a galaxy ruler? Yeah. That's, that and, says, and, and who are yeah. these people? Is it just some dude sitting in a bar with a laptop? Uh, <laughs> just yeah, like, I mean, it could be. We have a, uh, there's an, a, an, a phone app now, so you can do it what? anywhere, really. Um, awesome. That's pretty nice. Wow. Um, the, the demographics are pretty much like the demographics of the internet. Um, so <laughs> oh boy. Uh, the internet is kind of middle class, uh, kind of a little bit younger, a little bit skews male. Um, that's the demographics of this universe. Cool. Of the users, the galaxies. Yeah. Oh, what about the galaxies? I want to know about the galaxies. <laughs> yeah, so the galaxies, um, we ask pretty, we ask a series of simple questions. Um, so, um, for example, the first question we ask right now is, um, is this, uh, do you see signs of features or a disk, or is this simply smooth and featureless? And so that's sort of the big distinction between galaxies, whether they're smooth and featureless, we call that kind of an elliptical galaxy, or um, if they have features like spiral arms, or you can see that it's an edge on disk. Um, so that's kind of the big distinction. And then depending on what you answer there, you get asked other questions. So if you say you see features, you're asked, you know, what kind of features you see? Do you see spiral arms? Do you see a galactic bar? All those kinds of things. And the users, you don't have to know anything about astronomy to do this, right? That's right. Yeah, we, um, we deliberately keep the site pretty light of like tutorials. There is a tutorial, there's help tests. Uh, help text but you don't like there's no the very first galaxy zoo we did we did test people but nowadays we, we don't do that we find that that people are pretty good um you know pattern recognition is something humans are really really good at um and it's not you know you can i i, I get classrooms of school children doing this and they're experts at doing this um, <laughs> at the end of a half hour wow that's but, i think that's fantastic i'm not surprised about that frankly yeah. because sometimes you know school kids if i give a talk to a school <coughs> or something like that some of those questions that they ask i'm like oh boy like these kids are good yeah i'm and, not surprised that the kids are really good at this and i'm sure that gets them excited uh about astronomy <laughs> And they're really contributing. I actually had a kid cry the last time I did this. I oh, felt no. so bad because I, at the end of the lesson, I made a big deal about how I was really going to use these classifications for my research. And so thank you for, for helping me out. And he was like, oh, no, I did it wrong. And he cried. <laughs> I, uh, saw, I thought it was a sombrero galaxy. I'm yeah. sorry. Nah. So that's but it's okay because we asked so many people about each galaxy. We, you know, we can handle a, a few getting it wrong. Of course, we need to be able, we need to do that because there are, you know, the people who are just kind of stupid and Whatever. But that's also the great thing is that it's not just right or wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, with science, there isn't right or wrong. But there's, with, with these, there's like, what do most people think? 
And so the yeah. idea is that most people think, you know, a gal- this galaxy has spiral arms or something like that. And you talked about pattern recognition. Like, why don't we just have computers do this without people, right? Computers can do everything. So why yeah. not computers by themselves? Computers are really good at lots of things, um, but they do get fooled pretty quickly. Um, so if there's foreground stars, spiral arms are pretty patchy. Um, they, they basically, they can get it wrong in pretty stupid ways. And so we do definitely still use computer computerized measurements of the galaxies sort of in combination with this visual inspection you get the best of both worlds awesome wow that is that's fascinating and this has resulted in real publication for science science is measured in kind of the publications that's how our results are disseminated to other scientists and so this has resulted in real publications right that's right yeah we're really proud of that um more than 50 now from the team um uh but we also make our classifications public um as soon as we're confident that that we've kind of uh knocked out all of the systematics and stuff and so we're seeing people just make use of it um as another piece of information about galaxies which is great like meta publications uh, uh, just Mm -hmm. just as a point of clarification for me uh when you are um when you are gathering the information from the uh, different people who are doing the observations for you, um, how, what is the process of, of gaining that consensus? Is it just um, a number of people who said the same thing, or is it a certain criteria that is met within each observation, or how, how is that done? How do you guys then uh, yeah. as- ascertain? Well, we're actually, we're, that's an area of research in itself. Like, what's the best way to get consensus from wow. a set of people? Um, and so, you know, we started out doing pretty simple stuff. Um, we asked very simple questions, kind of yes, no questions at each point of the tree. Um, uh, so then each question you can kind of, you can either just say, well, you know, 90% of people who saw this uh, galaxy answered this thing. So we give it 0.9. Um, but then we realized we could kind of test how good each user was. And so we test how well the users tend to agree with the consensus answer. And if they're very divergent, we then would downweight them. Um, so oh, we kind wow. of weight use. So if someone is consistently going in and doing it wrong, it doesn't matter that they'll just get wiped in the data. It's kind of um, like an Uber rating system. Is it an Uber yeah. rating system? Oh almost my God. For, It's Uber <laughs> for like, the galaxy. That's you're awesome. sitting yeah. there like giving them stars or something like that. Each of the yeah. users. Cool. But uh, can people learn what their ratings are, what their user ratings are or no? Do you make that public? <laughs> Well, so no, we don't make that public. Um, yeah, we go back and forth about that. I mean, there's a huge research area as well around motivation and why people volunteer and how we can mm-hmm. um, make sure that the, that people who volunteer realize that their contributions are valued. Um, so there are, you know, social scientists who will study the Zooniverse and study. So the Zooniverse is, is Galaxy Zoo plus all of the projects that came after Galaxy Zoo using mm-hmm. the same uh, platform. Super There's cool. There's so many more questions I want to ask Karen, but let's go to our cosmic queries. Yeah, we need queries. to get to the cosmic queries. questions from uh, uh, yes, our from, Patreons first. You know it, Emily. Of course. We always do Patreon first because... It's not about the money until we need the money, and then it's about the money. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Patreons, for your support. Absolutely. And all subscribers. Um, and uh, so let me, uh, before we get into this, because uh, just just before we do anything, where can they uh, where can they volunteer? 
Karen? Oh, right. So yeah, Zooniverse is www.zooniverse.org, and um, you can find Galaxy Zoo uh, through that or just directly at www.galaxyzoo.org. Okay, there you have it. All right, let's uh, let's get our first question, and this is Dan Cowden from Patreon, and he says this. It is often said that astronomy is one of the few areas of science where amateurs are still able to make a contribution to major discoveries. Have you used amateur astronomer groups in any of your research yeah um so i mean they're, they're amateur astronomers are, are very welcome to to contribute to galaxy zoo um if that's something that's interesting to them um we do have quite different demographic demographics to the sort of typical amateur astronomy demographics um this is, so know, amateur astronomers are sometimes thought of as people with their own telescopes right right mm-hmm. that's how and you know some people have very sophisticated personal telescopes they found supernovae yeah. and, and things like that but wow. this is we might almost call this like armchair astronomy right because you don't need any yeah. special you need a laptop or a computer or your phone and you can look at you know real images from the sloan digital sky survey or the hubble space telescope or the dark energy camera this it's even armchair is almost too it's like pajama astronomy right? <laughs> yeah. maybe so, like. so some amateurs definitely do do this you know if i give a talk at an amateur society probably about half the room at least know about galaxy zoo or have used it um so yeah uh, but I think, you know, uh, I think maybe the question is more referring to the amateur images, maybe. Yeah. Um, and we yeah. haven't yet explored making use of the images taken by amateurs. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Done, like variable star observers. Yes, um, that's a whole yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's even more like the Galaxy Zoo is kind of the professional astronomers and the pajama astronomers, for lack of a better term. But even so the uh, AAVSO is what it's called. Amateur Astronomy Variable Star. Uh, no, and what was American, American Association of Variable Star Observers. Yes, yeah. thank you. That's exactly it. That's even a tighter amateur astronomy and professional astronomy because these these variable stars they're they're changing all the time. But professional telescope time is very very limited, and sometimes you don't need a big telescope like the right. Hubble Space Telescope or a, a Keck Telescope or something like that to to monitor a variable star. You just want a lot a lot of time with a small telescope, right. and a lot of the time that's what <laughs> amateur astronomers have, and so they can monitor these stars, share their data with this a. AVSO and do science like that way. And so there's kind of a lot of different tiers and ways that people can contribute to real astronomy research, which I think that's, this is unprecedented. That like is. Both in terms of time. Well, maybe that's So I read a little bit about the history of citizen science and maybe, you know, these kind of the gentleman scientists were a little bit kind of um, citizen scientists, although I would argue they had time and money. And so they right. were, you know, and they, a lot of them had, um, you know, they were supported by, like, the reason that we might have called Uranus George is because King George right, he, well, he, funded the Herschel. He opened the purse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but there's a neat story, though. Edwin Hubble put out a call for um, amateur astronomers across the United Kingdom to track um, the progress of, I think it was a, an eclipse. Um, and so he asked people to, like, write in in letters, you know, when they observed this eclipse happening at their location so he could put that all together. Oh, um, wonderful. So, awesome. We Our next guest, we're going to have a guest for the third segment who might be able to talk a little bit about an update to that, which is really exciting. We have to take a break. We're going to wrap up this part of the show, but we'll be right back with more Citizen Science with Karen Masters. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Emily Rice. Co-hosting with me today is comedian Chuck Nice. Hey, hey. 
amateur astrophysicist, yeah. I think so, and brain surgeon, and all-around awesome guy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and joining us via Skype, we have astrophysicist Karen Masters, who is, yeah. what's your official the term with the Galaxy Zoo? Your project scientist the for project the Galaxy Zoo, yeah. is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, that is right. And this is something this is something that like literally while everybody is listening, you should be going to these websites and doing it. You can multitask, you can learn with your ears or with your eyes if you're on all access, and you can learn with your fingers and your eyes. That your eyes might be doing two things. But you can <laughs> you can participate in the science. So there's Galaxy Zoo, which is for galaxy classification, and these are all org. So www.galaxyzoo.org. So I don't want to know what is there galaxyzoo.xxs. Chuck's and I always take it there. <laughs> we shouldn't. But <laughs> that'll get edited out. Um, but the, but it's but it's a bigger. There's a bigger thing, right? So it's not just Galaxy Zoo anymore. Now there's the whole Zooniverse, which I love. A nice. Uh, what's the term for it? Portman, portmanteau? Uh, when you take the two I just call them mashups. <laughs> word mashups. I think there's a French word for it, but I like word mashups even better. So, so Zooniverse is now the umbrella platform, for lack of a better word, for how many citizen science projects now are on Zooniverse? Oh, like 60 or something. 60. Um, so, yeah, the big innovation like about a year and a half ago was the launch of Project Builder. So for simple projects now, you can go in and do a lot of the development yourself. You upload the images, you can set the sets of questions. And so, I mean, that, that meant that a lot more projects could launch. And who is this you? This is for scientists. Scientists say they have a huge amount of data oh, and yeah. my students have to sleep and eat. And so instead of having a student, that's how Galaxy Zoo started, right? Is that instead of yeah. having, there's a there's one particular student, right, who kind of set the bar. Kevin. Is that Shawinsky. right? Yeah, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. And He's so, still involved in the project. And um, there's a unit of the Kevin, right? A certain mm -hmm, number of classifications right. in a week, certain amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> what I Kevin could do was, in a week. And, yeah. yeah. And then how many, and then it was done in, in, you know, a certain number of minutes or something once Galaxy Zoo opened up. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Kevin. Certainly in the early days, it was, yeah. <laughs> a Kevin week. Um, I think I'll know well, what I've made it when. Yeah, but the project build is actually available to everyone. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was kind of envisaged for scientists, and certainly the big projects that launch um, must have a science, like a research goal. So that's one of the sort of stipulations of a Zooniverse project is that there's a science team who want uh, the input and, uh, and have a plan to, to publish it and, and do um, research with it. But anyone can actually um, make a simple project to run with their friends. So, you know, you could Ooh. use it. You could go out and take pictures of trees and upload them and have your friends classify them for you or whatever you want to do. Really. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Could we make a new, like, hot or not or something like that? Like, <laughs> this is, that's how Facebook and, started. You know, so <laughs> We're the, not going to do uh, that. Deputy project scientist Brooke Simmons, uh, famously, she can do a demo. She can launch a project in 10 minutes. <gasps> I heard talking. about that. She did it's, it. It's insane. I, I cannot do that. I, she just I did it at a conference, <laughs> I feel like, and I was following along on Twitter. This is the, this is the also secret, is that you can kind of listen into a lot of astronomy, like a real research astronomy stuff on Twitter. Really? Like we, we hashtag all of our conferences, we have conversations and that's, you know, Twitter is public. And so I think I actually watched on Twitter as Brooke was giving the live demo at those, was it Space Telescope Science Institute? Yeah, a couple it, was weeks what ago? it was finding things in data. What was it right, called? Right, the discovering the hidden... Discovering the unexpected conference. Discovering the it. unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so find it, you know, follow a couple astronomers. Karen is on Twitter. Karen L. Masters, I believe, on Twitter. That is it, yeah. I'm on Twitter. I talk a lot about fashion and sometimes science um, <laughs> and but so, so the whole thing is now called the universe is it all space is it all science or is no, it all, not at all yeah 
it's not all space. Um, it's categorized by different things. We have a lot of um, kind of nature projects. So there's a really popular one, Snapshot Serengeti, looking Ooh. at images of animals on the Serengeti. I feel like that's where, you know, as, as cool as astronomers are, and if I do a career day or something like that, and if there's a veterinarian there, oh, pfft, I'm done. Well, yeah. <laughs> Firemen also, especially penguins. in New York City. I like that one. <gasps> I want to count penguins. Penguin watch is counting <laughs> penguins uh, from, again, camera traps. Awesome. Um, so there was one about marking when the snow starts and uh, Higgs hunters is looking for unusual Higgs. Higgs hunters. Yeah. Particle physics looking for unusual particle collisions in collider data. There's wow. uh, citizen kind of science particle physics. Yeah, there wow. is. That's, yeah. I was going to, you know, I, I was usually say, make the joke. Yeah. I think there might be fewer citizens <laughs> for that one. Some, some people are into that. Like, yeah. you know, I want to say like, oh, there's no, you know, like amateur neurosurgery or something like that. But I can almost kind of imagine, you know, if you have brain scans that you need to sort yeah. through or something right. like that. It's really the, like the, so and some of it's even not science, but even more. So there's STEM, which is which is science, Ooh. technology, engineering, and mathematics. But then there's also STEAM, right, which adds the oh, art that's aspect right. yeah. into so it. So annotation, um, uh, so uh, reading, uh, it turns out handwriting is pretty hard to read. So people scan, <laughs> you know, uh, digital images. Um, there's a really neat one. It's called Shakespeare's Folio. So it's not... Uh, papers from around the time of Shakespeare and so you kind of have to um, see if you can decipher what, what they're talking about find the recipe for mince pies from Britain <laughs> in 1600 or whatever awesome uh, yeah it's there's a lot of fun stuff you can do in it's, this universe I think a project for everyone really so. yeah wow. it's like humanities research as well as as well mm -hmm. as scientific research which yeah, is super cool yeah that's fantastic and I like that it's not you know sometimes it's portrayed as science versus arts or something like that but there's really a nice interplay really quick questions and then we'll get to the cosmic queries What's the what's the number one all time most popular project on Zooniverse? Galaxy Zoo, of course, is, is and it's it? true actually. Um, Still, people okay. do get distracted by penguins and snapshots and Getty, <laughs> and it might not be the number one popular one now, like right now, but um, uh, yeah, but it's got the OG going for it, and so it's got yeah, such we, a build up, classic, right? You know, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so even though we know we love all our flavors of Coke, still the original Coke is is the most popular. What's your favorite besides Galaxy Zoo? So Galaxy Zoo is obviously your number one favorite. What's your number two? Let's even say non-astronomy. Yeah, I do have a fondness for Penguin Watch. I okay. think that, that was really fun. And, you know, it's so easy to do. You just click on the penguins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that it's almost like a video game yeah like awesome. i do that one with my kids actually because they you know oh and, cool. and then when they click randomly i'm horrified but then i'm like oh, no, okay i know how this is done let's not do it again kids but nobody cries when they don't quick on, yeah. click on the penguin yes. oh good yeah. oh good well speaking of video games it's so funny you mentioned that because doug uh Bollig from facebook says this i've read a lot about the game fold it being used Hold by it. ordinary citizens to help scientists prove or solve the structure of retrovirus enzymes. I read about this some time ago. Uh, are there any good websites or games that ordinary citizens can use to help with discovering the cosmos? Has anybody developed anything <laughs> like that? Um, well, maybe Galaxy Zoo. Uh, yeah, we, so that's you know, all we of don't these. It's not gamified. Um, it's not a game. Uh, we kind of stayed away from that because we want to kind of keep this sort of, it's a serious vibe, right? We're doing research with this. So it's not, 
it, it's not gamified, um, but it's gameized. Um, we're playful with it. Um, we we have the galaxy letters. You can write your name in galaxy. <gasps> I love that. I do that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I love the galaxy letters, and you know the blogs and the newsletters have fun kind of things. I love Daily Zoo, which is the sort of the Zooniverse blog, and it highlights different projects every day. Um, it's really a fun blog, actually. So awesome. So it's not so it's it's not quite gamified, but it's kind of community. Fired. Yeah. So once you once you make something a game, people start playing the game to win the game, and we didn't want that, right? We wanted people to do the classification well, so that we get good research out of it. Um, so there's been a lot of thought put into this, and mm -hmm. and the decision is to stay away from it being a game. But you know, we we do enjoy the fun aspects of it. So it we still have sounds like a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. it's more. It's more like a. It's it's like a non-competitive game. It's more. It sounds more like a world that you live in. Maybe like maybe mm. Second Life or that type of thing. You know this. You this get, kind of like you community like that you join. Badge that says how many classifications you've yeah. done. Different colors for the different projects and things. You know, you know. And so you collect things. It sounds a little bit like a game to me. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it's more like Sims. It's more like The yeah, Sims, Sims than, than, the, than an actual game. Life. There you go. All right. Well, Doug, there's your answer. This ain't no game. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Except there's fun stuff to win. <laughs> right. Uh, let's move on to Ryan Daly, who says, uh, I've been in the culinary world for 15 years. Recently, I've contemplated developing menus, uh, processes, and tools to use to facilitate cooking in microgravity and lower than Earth gravity. Does this appear to be a worthy enterprise? Ooh. Talk about being a citizen scientist. Yeah, that someone's a little bit different, but man, we all got to eat. So <laughs> I'm going to say this is actually one of the like one of the most interesting things I think that Chris Hadfield, Chris Hadfield was kind of like the first, you know, kind of uh, astronaut popular. Like astronauts are always popular, but for some reason Chris like seemed to really like I don't know, he's definitely struck a nerve with his videos. And one of the things I remember is just like how they eat and what they eat. And I think they eat a lot of like tortillas and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> was one of the things that I remember. Like peanut right. butter is nice and sticky, and so you can get it to stick to something. Right. And it doesn't it's not going to float away. On you. Yeah, right. and but then they'll also, you know, they'll they'll squirt out a little bit of juice and then like go after like Pac Man or something like that. Because yeah. like you don't the teardrop shape of liquids falling is from gravity. Right. Right. And so if you don't have you know you, there is gravity, but they're in free fall with the with the gravity, and so you have circles of things. And right. So yeah, it's definitely a little bit different than the citizen science that we're talking about. But I think people you know can contribute to science and scientific exploration in a lot Ooh. of different ways cool yeah well there you go uh hey man go for it you know because we're all hungry yeah so we, if we're gonna go uh, to mars you, we gotta eat yeah we too. gotta eat so do your thing um i am going to read this question guys even <laughs> though it may not have a great deal to do with what we're talking about uh maybe derek just uh uh sucked me in with a psychological lure because he's, huh. he put a little reverse psychology uh, in, his, in his question. Uh, this is Derek Kaler, and he says, I know this won't get answered. So, Derek, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker, <laughs> Derek. You just got me. Now uh, we know the secret, Right, too. you know the secret. I know this won't get answered, but I'll waste my time anyway <laughs> because it's important. Okay, so, well. yeah. And I, what I like is he's, he's suckering me with reverse psychology 
And he's got an attitude. <laughs> okay. And he says, uh, why, and, and I don't know, Emily, maybe you might have an insight into this, but, you know, I, I know you're, you're more into low-mass stars than what this am. is. Uh, this says, why doesn't NASA experiment with sex in space? It would seem important to know how not only the fluids transfer, but also pregnancy is affected in microgravity and how the radiation from space will affect uh, will affect it. Uh, we're going to need to know this if we're ever going to send humanity into deep space. So I, I feel like he's sincere in a way uh, about this, but, you know. Sorry about that. We're out of time. <laughs> the weird thing, we are, we're almost out of time. We we're going to break time. in a second. The weird thing is, I've had a conversation about pregnancy and microgravity with Neil Tyson on the street. <laughs> when we, yeah, well, yeah, I remember that day. We, yeah, yeah, we right? were, yeah, we were together that day. I was very heavily pregnant, <laughs> yes, and were. so it came up in conversation. But it's, I mean, these are a lot of the things. So the sex in space, yeah, that's, I think that's been discussed before. It's also, you know, galaxyzoo.xxx, I think. No, I'm kidding. But, um, but the, like, I thought about gravity a little bit in terms of giving birth. Like, does that, you know, does it have to go down? But I think the answer is no. Okay. And now, you know, so many things. You know, you like even like um, pregnancy and fertilization, like you can have in vitro fertilization, right. you know, there might be like even in the future, like artificial wombs right. and things like that. And so there's definitely a, a biological challenge to, um, you know, multi-generational space travel. Right. And the probably the sex in space is like the most interesting part, but that's also the part that, you know, is going to get cut first in, in a budget. There you go. <laughs> Okay. And it'll probably happen anyway. Is right. That's what I was going to say. So. The real answer is we're going to find a way to do it. Okay. So you can rest assured. All right. Thank you so much. So we got to take a short break. We're going to let Karen go. Karen, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you get a nice spike in traffic on galaxyzoo.org and zooniverse.org. You can go pick out your favorite project to work on, all of our Star Talk listeners. Uh, we'll take a short break and we will be right back with another special guest to talk to us about citizen science when Star Talk All-Stars returns. Welcome back to Star Talk All-Stars. I'm Emily Rice, your All-Star host for the evening, and I'm joined by my comedic co-host, Chuck Nice. Yes, that's right. And we have been talking about citizen science and how regular space and science geeks, kind of everyday people, can make meaningful contributions to research. Uh, we have another special guest on her way, um, and as she literally makes her way <laughs> into the studio, yes. we'll take some cosmic queries, and then we'll hear from, so that on her way is Jackie Faherty, who is uh, involved in a hot-off-the-presses new citizen science project that's on the Zooniverse, and so I want to make sure that everybody hears about that, and while we wait for her, we will answer some cosmic queries. All right, and this is something that, uh, since, uh, and I know you... Uh, got to astronomy a little later yeah yeah which is in a way kind of cool yeah uh, definitely um uh, do you think and i'm sorry uh ocean mcintyre uh ocean what a cool name huh i a friend of mine just had a baby named ocean get out of here yeah and really? she's also her, her mother and actually a friend of jackie's as well is a biochemist who studies snails 
wow. like ocean snails, and they they take out the venom and try to make medicine out of the venom from these snails. That's a hot thing right now. Yeah, you it's know, super cool. And they're doing that with every uh, venomous creature on Earth. It seems like what doesn't kill you maybe makes you stronger. There you hopefully. go. Right. I and don't want to. Fi- awesome I don't want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be well tested. Well, well tested. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ocean McIntyre says this. Do you think light pollution is impacting? the sense of awe that influences wonder and public interest in science and astronomy. Wow. Uh, uh, That's a pretty... Yeah, that's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy question. Light pollution is definitely a thing. Like, you you know, the vast majority of people in the U.S. now live in cities. Even around the world, a a large fraction of people live in cities. And in cities, you just can't see, you can't see a lot of the stars anymore. You can't see the Milky Way anymore. And so if you think that that's where the inspiration comes from, then yeah, we've definitely lost that a little bit. But on the other hand, the great thing about kind of modern society that's enabled by these cities is the ubiquity of and the accessibility of all the information. And so, like, you can, you know, of course, the Internet, you can find a lot of this data yourselves. You can participate in the data with all these projects on the Zooniverse, participate in the analysis. But you can also just see it everywhere. Like, Hubble Space Telescope images are now, you know, a category on Jeopardy and, and, like, used in advertisements and on clothing and things like that. And so, in a way, the, you know, even if we've lost a little bit of our night sky... Now I feel like the inspiration is kind of not only in the night sky, but just in everywhere, like just, you know, kind of seeping into everyday life. And that's really exciting for me as an astronomer. You don't need the dark sky. You don't need a telescope in order to experience astronomy, really. It's great to do. Like, I love, you know, if, if I happen to be somewhere and being able to see the stars, but... It's also cold and dark. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of the time when you have lot. to do that. That is I'm so true. Scared of the dark. <laughs> uh, well, and that's funny. I got to tell you though, but uh, uh, I was up on um, what's it called? Uh, the High Line here in New York City. Oh yeah, and um, and we even we do which uh, High Line is a place that people do observing from. Yes, the they Amateur do. Astronomy and, Society. And yeah. that, and uh, the, the, that's right. And you go there at certain times. They post it online. Yeah. And the cool thing is, they will let anyone who is interested. Come view what they're observing. Yeah. So I was there with a friend of mine, and uh, he he saw Saturn for the first time. Oh, and everybody and loves Saturn because you can actually see the rings. Yeah. You, you look even up just, in the sky, and you, you know, can. We take it for granted, I think, sometimes. Like even looking at the moon. Well, yes. Through a tele because the moon is there all the time. Right. Oh, moon! But seeing the moon through a telescope, unbelievable. Especially when it's shaded. You yeah. Like, oh, and you, you get have a, a nice, you know, oh, nice God, like a half. Yeah, quarter, for a, oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's, and I just think the rings of Saturn. It's an ex- yeah. yeah the moons. Ex- a lot of the times, you can see Titan. Yep. And you can see the moons of Jupiter. You can see the bands on Jupiter. Yeah. Like, and in, in there's some, you know, there's one thing to see the, the telescope images, which are amazing, but to see it kind of live like that through yeah. a telescope is, is it also does something a, to you. an impactful thing. Yeah, yeah, it really does something to you. I got to tell you. So, yeah. hey, great question. Great question. So, and uh, our guest is here. Oh, Yay! look at this. Worth the wait. Whoa. Thank you, Jackie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to run to get here. Yeah, worth it. I have. You, how are you doing? You want to take a breath? Are we live? Are we live still? We'll still. Yeah, we'll just jump right into it. Jackie's a pro. 
Ah. Jackie, Jackie, this is Chuck. <laughs> Chuck, nice to meet you. Pleasure, Jackie. Uh, so with me now is Jackie Fairty. Jackie is a senior scientist and senior education manager in the Department of Astrophysics and the Department of Education at the American Museum of Natural History, which is just uptown from us. And you just came from there. I was just there for what? Sun Earth Day. Today is Sun Earth Day. Did you know that? Happy uh, Sun Earth Day, hey, Chuck. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Sun, sun Earth, Earth Day. So tell us what. Uh, tell me for. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm ignorant of Sun Earth Day. Well, I think it's a new concept. Is we're really Really close to the equinox when we're at equal day, equal night, or right. when the seasons are about to change. And so the museum. I hope so, God. Hopefully. The slush on the streets is disgusting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so true. Yes. There was a lot of slush I ran through to get here Thank to you, you today. Sir. Uh, but so the the museum decided to celebrate the Earth Sun relationship. We're also is that does that sound weird? I no, like it sounds no. awesome. Earth and the Sun, Earth yeah. and the sun have they a relationship. relationship. It's very edible. Totally. Very edible. Yes, um. they have a relationship. They're they're um, very tight. It's a very close relationship. Um, it's we're celebrating its four and a half billion year anniversary. I yeah, think. I think so. <laughs> uh-huh. So so it, I was giving talks about um, magnetic fields and our solar neighborhood. Cool. Yeah, so it's yeah. awesome. Cool. And is it true that our magnetic field is what saves us from being eaten alive by the sun? It's one of the things. Because <laughs> the sun That's is really the, the sun is really out to get us. I know the sun and the earth have a yeah. great relationship, but the sun and human beings, not so much. <laughs> it's funny. I wanted them to use that in a story and it, during the during the Earth Sunday today. Uh-huh. And they were afraid that kids would run away afraid of the sun. So. Oh, oh, so so you wanted yeah. to actually talk about the magnetic field and how the sun... The uh, dangers. The dangers the of the sun. The magnetic field protects us, but the sun is trying to kill us. Right, kill that's us. what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, and killers. Yeah, the sun, the yeah. And the the sun is a bad person. It's vicious. Yeah, the sun does not care, oh. okay? The sun is a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> that's bold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's it, come on, get us, sun. Right. Like, what's the sun going to do? Come yeah. down and... <laughs> This mole is looking a little bit funny. (laughs) Sun is dangerous, but the magnetic field protects us. And Venus and Mars lack a major magnetic field. Right. So we think the magnetic fields are an ingredient for life. In if you're going to look for a planet, a magnetic field is probably something you're going to want to see. Interesting. It's hard to measure. But I thought yeah. Venus had like this incredible cloud cover. Is yeah. that right? Yes. So now, is there any way that I'm sorry, I'm taking us way off of what we're we'll <laughs> get to it. But you know, when, once I when I have you guys in front of me, I gotta <laughs> I gotta get I gotta suck as much information out of you as I can. But so is is it possible that perhaps a cloud cover or or an atmosphere could be, um, shall I say, a substitute for a magnetic field, or does the radiation um, uh, uh, penetrate no matter what? Such a good one. The story pirates that were there today, they took two ways of attacking this issue that we have called climate change. Mm -hmm. It's real. And and because we wanted to make sure that it was out there of the ways that you could protect the Earth, we talked about both. One, magnetic field. We're not really messing around with that, but we are messing around with our atmosphere. And the atmosphere is a protector, but it can't protect you from everything. And actually, without the magnetic field, our atmosphere would be in danger of mm. the sun's radiation. So the magnetic field is also protecting ah, the, the atmosphere. The magnetic field to protect our atmosphere. Yeah. And then the atmosphere protects us, us until we mess up the atmosphere so much that it doesn't protect us. Wow. Because that's what happened on Venus, right? The Venus doesn't have a magnetic field, and so the atmosphere kind of did a run runaway greenhouse effect in the beginning of the solar system, so now the atmosphere of Venus will kill you. Wow. Before the sun does. Yeah. Cook a pizza and then kill you. 
Nice. Um, but let's talk about why we have Jackie here. I'm so yes, excited yes, about this. Yes, so I yes, should yes, say, yes, yes. Jackie is a longtime collaborator of mine. She's actually a, a co-founder of the BDNYC, my research group here in New York City, um, our research group here in New York City. But today she's here as a citizen science PI. Mm. So she has this exciting new project. So we've been talking about citizen science on this show with Karen Masters, who is from uh, the Galaxy Zoo, which is now part of the Zooniverse platform. And you have a new project on the Zooniverse platform that I'm so excited about. Tell us about it. Yes. What's it called? It's called backyardworlds.org. Dot org. We wanted to call it Rogue Worlds, but uh. we got we, we lost Rogue Worlds because um, it's a NASA-based project. And right when we were choosing Rogue Worlds, NASA had all of the handles coming out of going rogue with all of the various departments. Oh. Right. And so rogue now means something a little different. Yeah, yeah. So so when our website being called Rogue Worlds, they took that away. But does, Na- does NASA not like that? So I, Chuck has a NASA T-shirt for the for the all access. Yeah, if you uh, people, people are you can see going Chuck's to watch NASA this one video, I'm I'm actually wearing a NASA T-shirt. My kid t-shirt. has one of the Rogue that. NASA meatballs that says Rogue. A friend of mine got it for me. Thank you, Marta. <laughs> Thank you, Marta. Got one for my my baby. So my baby's Rogue NASA. Rogue but NASA. It's, so it's called Backyard World. Called Backyard World, which is cool. Because what are you looking for? So yes, what do so people do? The the project's really really interesting and. Uh, fairly easy to do where we've taken images that a NASA NASA mm-hmm. spacecraft <laughs> uh, called WISE um, they image the entire sky uh-huh. and several times so that you can take a picture wait a bit of time right. take another picture wait a bit of time take uh-huh. another picture and if you blink flip through those pictures in succession uh-huh. and an object is close enough you see it move so it's like uh, you're you, creating a flip book. You're making a yes. gift. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was a great advertisement. We yeah. have created flip books. You, you created flip books. Yeah. This is that's very very cool. Flip books for anybody to help us look through because we've got the entire sky. So oh. it's not one one flip book. It's millions of flip books. Wow. Yeah. And so now anyone who accesses this yeah. can uh, use the flip books or you know uh, flip through the flip books and then what exactly do you want them to look for? So they flip right. and then we ask them to mark anything that they think moves in the flip books. Okay. That then sends it to a database for us to look through. Okay. And so I love our citizen scientists but we don't trust one person to be able to <laughs> of course. make the ultimate decision. So right. we ask 15 different eyes in order to So each flip book gets 15 diff- 15 sets of eyes and then you cross reference their answers to figure out We yeah, have if if we really think that somebody picked something good cuz you know you could go in there and maybe you were you're not in the best of moods your eyes aren't working <laughs> right. so well I've been drinking you, I didn't want to say that yeah, well, it could be a children's program yeah, no uh, it's a children's program you but get home all late these at children night. know I drink <laughs> you're at the bar and you decide Jackie just told me about backyard worlds I'm going to give it a go right. and you start flipping and marking whatever the heck you think you see every single thing is moving exactly <laughs> the, the most amount of clicks we got in one flip book. How many do you think it was? Uh, take a number guess. How many do you think somebody could find in one flip book? And I didn't even tell you the size of the flip book. I just want to know how many do you think somebody could click in one image. In one image? One image. Of something moving? Mm-hmm. 
Oh God, I would I would say it would be rather low. Should be. Yeah, like I would say if you if you got one click that you'd be doing well. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah. like you'd be very excited. Like, oh my God, I saw it move. Yeah. Uh, so you should get one every time you flip through maybe twenty or thirty of our flip books. Okay. And that's being generous. But somebody and I he may have he or she may have been out drinking, clicked. 2,200 things <laughs> in an image. What? That's our record breaker I mean, right now. Maybe it was a cat? What, do you, what if it was I have a cat no idea like, jumping was. on the keyboard or something <laughs> that like that? Nobody knows you're a dog on the internet, right? <laughs> so maybe there was image. a cat that was going at yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but what wow. are we finding? You haven't told What are we looking oh, for? Yeah, what's, sorry, a, the, what's a backyard world? So what we're looking for is two different things. Exciting thing number one. Planet Nine, right in our solar system, which would be a rogue planet, right? So no, it, no, no. Right? It, 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 you, it's a planet that was flung out. Would that be it? Ah, no, no. Planet Nine is this new thing. Okay, go right. ahead. Planet Nine. So Planet Nine is the the new Pluto, almost not really, but kind of. So Mike Brown. Right. Oh, oh okay. Oh, this so, is this is the gravity anomaly that happened yes. to the outside of the Kuiper the Kuiper yeah, belt. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. And so Mike Brown, the Pluto killer, thinks that um, the they so they've studied a lot of the Kuiper belt objects, and they think that because of the way that the orbits are distributed, mm-hmm. that something even bigger but further away has got to be out there, kind of making the orbits align the way that they are. Gotcha. And so they have a predicted orbit, but you don't know where this thing could be along its orbit. That's a lot of the sky to search through. It's kind of like a huge sandbox, and you're looking oh. for one slightly bigger pebble. So we, we but, think it's, yeah, we, so we think it's out there. We, no one has seen it, right. and no one knows where it is. Right. So your best shot at finding it, and Mike Brown actually gave us a shout-out in his talk at the Space Telescope Science Institute the other day saying he thought awesome. we had the best chance of finding it. Oh, that's a big huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Killer Mike Brown gave us a shout-out. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, other than that shout-out, I mean, we do have, we're scanning the entire sky, right. look at things that move, and we invite citizen scientists to participate. So how great a story is that if... You know, right. any a kid, and a teacher, anybody, yeah. right. anybody, a dog, a cat jumping on the keyboard. Those twenty two hundred frame, yeah. maybe one of those was Planet Nine. And we might be able to find Rogue World, right? Because this is this project, this Backyard Worlds, is potentially also finding things outside of the solar system, right? Yeah. So, and what would these be? So there are also objects that was there are two major things we could find. One is within our solar system, and that's Planet Nine. And the second most exciting thing is objects that are very close to the sun. But um, we just had missed because they're too cold in order for us to detect them through means of looking at, like, visible light. This is actually, I forgot to mention, it's infrared data. Ah. It's not visible light data. So it's also why it's special. And so we've got a good shot at using infrared data to find cold objects. And some of them may be as close as the closest star, but we'd never seen them before because we needed an infrared survey. And you need to flip through images in order to find them. Uh, and find find kind of ones that are outside of the box. And anybody can click on and do this. Yeah, yeah. anybody. Wow. And what's wait? wait well, I'm I'm going to actually go, I'm, as soon <laughs> yeah. as this is over. I'm on your phone, I'm going to the yeah. bar. Not yeah. driving. We're on. Well, no, I'm we sober now. It. You know, yeah. so uh, this is a good time. You know, yeah. uh, and I'll be sober for at least the next oh, I'll say eight and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, so wait, what's the address again? Backyard Worlds. Dot org. Backyardworlds.org. Yep, backyardworlds.org. Cool. And so I can say that within the first six days, it only we just had, launched, yeah, not that long ago, right? Yeah, one month ago we launched it. Awesome. And we've had 27,000 volunteers. 
that participated, and they have classified over 2.8 million flipbooks. Wow. wow. Right. That's a lot of flipbooks. That is but a lot of flipbooks. there's still a lot left because you've only uploaded some small portion of yeah. all the data, right? That's right. So there's, so there's millions. More to come. There's millions more for people to do. And the but the the awesome thing is within the first six days, one an astronomer actually it's not an astronomer it's a science teacher in Tasmania. Oh, he um, him and actually eight other people because I said we we right. want fifteen different eyes <clears throat> looked at an object and identified it as moving. They thought it was red. And uh, we all got excited about it, and I was just awarded telescope time to go look at it. <gasps> Yay! This, uh, tomorrow night, I'll follow it up with the IRTF telescope in Hawaii. Awesome. Follow us on Twitter, because you might actually see us talking about this on Twitter. <laughs> yes, yeah. I can, we'll, awesome. can tweet out what we end up finding tomorrow night. Yeah. But it looks like it's a very cold brown dwarf, very close to the sun that no one has ever seen before. Wow. And I this science teacher that. from Tasmania clicking through is the first one to have sent it to that brought it to our attention right. in our talk page and so and so there's a talk page with a forum and comments the same way that Karen was talking about for all these projects this is fascinating so uh, cool what I'm a brilliant, so excited about first this first of all what a just a brilliant approach to, to because you're looking at you. so much data yeah. that you have to sift through that if you just relied on your own people I mean, how long would this take? Yeah. We t- there's like a Kevin week that we talked about. That was how, how Galaxy Zoo started is how quickly could all of these citizen scientists reproduce a Kevin week. And it was within minutes or something like that. That's and amazing. There, there's like a Jackie year or something like that of, <laughs> of people that have, you know, what everybody can do all at once when we put our, our right. hi- heads and our eyes together yeah. to look at this. And so StarTalk listeners, check out Zooniverse.org, BackyardWorlds.org, GalaxyZoo.org. We've got to wrap it up. Oh. But it was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks to Chuck Nice, my comedic co-host, Absolutely. and Jackie Faraday, my wonderful collaborator from the Museum of Natural History, and Karen Masters, who's with us earlier on Skype from the UK. Uh, I've been your host, Emily Rice. Thanks for listening and stay curious. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. We are going to take a few more cosmic queries to supplement our episode on citizen science. I am your All Stars co host, Emily Rice, and with me today is Chuck Nice. Yes. Nice and Rice. Nice and Rice. Ooh, <laughs> nice rice. I like it. Let's take some questions. I won't uh, peek. Yeah, here we go. Uh, let's start off with um, C. Sean Smith. C. Sean Smith, run. S- selling seashells. Run, Sean Smith. Okay. Seashells at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Sean says this. I'm homeschooling my eight-year-old son. If you were raising an almost nine-year-old, where would you encourage him to look growing up to help contribute to citizen science? Where are they most needed. Ooh, this is a good one and a relevant one because I have my own little junior scientist at home. Um, that's a big answer. There's a little, like the great thing about the citizen science portals that we have right now, mm-hmm. especially the the Zooniverse one that we talked about with Professor Karen Masters, is that they can be done by kids. You know, yes. you take them to the website, you know, as much as you trust them on the internet, like support them on the internet, get them a login to zooniverse.org and then help them do some of those things. Like the penguin one is just clicking on penguins. You know, some of them are a little bit more in detail, like transcribing things, you know, typing things out. That's a little bit harder, but some of them are just clicking on the pictures. Yeah. And the, the great thing about the infrastructure behind the citizen science is that you don't have to worry about them breaking it or anything like that. Like right. the a lot of the the 
tools um, or a lot of the the websites have tools built in to kind of to weight the users nice. to kind of grade you know test the users and, right. and I don't want to say grade the users a little bit but like and almost like a verification because yeah. you don't you don't want be, you might get the the occasional. Um, What's the it? cat that jumps on the right. keyboard yeah, or something exactly. like that or you know the right. outliers tend right. to get tend to get you know descaled a little bit in the contributions to the science right um, but really anybody can t- participate which is super super great in the bigger picture even of citizen science one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that science needs everybody and I feel like especially a lot of star talk listeners you're like man the best thing is to be a scientist and I actually think that the opposite is true the people that science needs the most are the people that are not scientists but advocate for science and support science that is very true. I, I Which think is, so. No, 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 no. That's that's one hundred percent correct. Because when you think about the fact that we now live in a time where people actually uh, dispute, refute, and refuse settled science, yeah, it's because, like, as the citizenry, we're not accepting. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. The citizens have to accept it. And I feel like for scientists themselves, there's a little bit of a like potentially a perceived conflict of interest where, of course, we are going to believe in it because that's our jobs, that's our livelihoods. But when everybody else believes in it and supports in it and says, no, this is important, you know, to their Congress people, um, to their to their teachers, to their kids, teachers, to the parents who homeschool their kids. That's really the key of maintaining our productivity in science and maintaining the importance of science within our society. This is very cool. Hey, uh, see Sean Smith, see Sean Smith run. Great question. And uh, I just hope that your eight-year-old son is not getting bullied while he's being homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, yeah. Know. That, that, you know, come on. That's yeah. a, it's a joke. By the cat, maybe. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. But thank you. <laughs> the cat. <laughs> all right, let's move on. This is... Um, Jack Garrison extended. So clearly he knows that we were doing this on an extension. (laughs) Jack Garrison extended uh, from Michigan says, is there a wrong way to perform citizen science? Uh, Not to do it at all. Yeah. That's the same thing with the, with the homeschool student. Like, you know, don't worry about messing anything up. That's the great thing. Everything's backed up. Everything's tested. Everything's um, going to be validated by professional scientists. I mean, don't do, you know, I'm not talking about going into a hotel bathtub with a bunch of ice and a scalpel or anything like that to try to do organ transplants. That's where I'm going with that. Yeah, leave but, that to me. <laughs> yeah, that's leave that that's to my the... job. I, but, by the way, uh, it's very lucrative business. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of ways that you can contribute. And yeah, one of the, like, I definitely remember that as a, as a starting scientist, as a science student, I was very scared to touch any, like, even if it's a keyboard in front of a computer that's attached to the telescope that I'm using or something like that, I was very scared to, like, click the mouse or touch the keyboard or anything like that. Um, and there is a little bit of, you know, when you get into the actual resource, the research, there are things you can break that are very expensive. And, and, but, for the citizen science, it's it's very nicely set up, and I, a lot of people have worked very hard on that instru- infrastructure for uh, several years now, and so it's it's a great opportunity. Again, the, I think the only way, the only wrong way to do it is to not do it at all. 
Cool. All right, that begs the question since you uh, bought up breaking things. Oh, have okay. you ever broken anything in the in the oh, lab, God. in school, or yep. at work? What's the most yep. expensive thing? It's a little bit of a story. Oh, it's I, a little, I don't know it. how expensive it was. So okay. I, I'll, I'll even name names. I have tenure. I'm tenure approved. Oh, so I'm oh going to name names. Yeah, you, that's right a little now, bit of a. You could eat a baby live on television, <laughs> and you would not lose your job. That's amazing. Yeah, I think so. You could I, shoot someone in the middle of Fifth oh, Avenue. Gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't lose my academic position at the very least, or it would be hard for me to lose my academic position. A lot of other bad things would happen after that. But um, when I was a when I was a grad student, I worked with fantastic people at the Lowell Observatory okay. in Flagstaff, Arizona, where the where Pluto was discovered. Um, um, it's a fantastic, fantastic research institution. I love everybody there. And they were building, at the time, the Discovery Channel Telescope. Oh, cool. Which is awesome. It was it was kind of a new thing. It was funded by the Discovery Channel instead of, like, NASA or the National Astronomical Observatory. Um, and so it was a little bit of a new thing. Because it had this commercial funding, they were videotaping a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, and one of the things that they were videotaping, so I, I, was, I happened to be there working when they were doing a little bit of a – can't remember even what it was like a, a little bit of a fancy meeting for people for the for the board of directors or something like that mm-hmm. so they were filming it they had the the kind of the structure built around the telescope and and some facilities in there at this new telescope but not very much else to show okay so nothing to move like nothing they were like let's get something on camera what they had was a big opening at the bottom of the telescope, like kind of a bay where there was little tracks and you would bring in the instruments okay. to lift up the instruments to install them onto the telescope. Like oh. that was the only thing that was was there. And then there was a crane. There was a crane like attached to the ceiling that would go, you know, that would lower down, pick up the instruments in order to put the instruments on the back of the telescope. The telescope didn't even exist yet. No dome or anything, just kind of concrete and a few layers of building below this. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Um, and so they were like, we want, you know, they're filming people, they're filming the engineers, giving a tour to the scientists and to the board of directors or whoever it was, you know, fancy people wearing ties. I'm there in my, you know, my grad student, like discount clothes and my shorts and my sandals. Cause I was just there working over the summer. Um, and they were like, here's the, here's the paddle, like the remote control to operate the crane. Basically, this is the, it's literally like the only thing that moves besides like a door okay. in the observatory. And so I take the paddle and it's got two buttons, an up button and a down button. And it's cabled to the to tape cable to the wall. And I press the up button and the crane with the big hook on the end goes up and then it stops and I press stop and they're filming it. And I'm like, well, that was fun. And I was like, and in my head, and now in my head it exists in slow motion, what happens if I do it again? What happens if I go a little bit further? Because I can see that there's a little bit of a bar that's supposed to be like a kill switch. Like the hook gets up to that bar and it's not supposed to go any further. What do I do? I'm a scientist in training. I press the button again. Of course. I press the button again to have it go up again and I imagine that it's going to stop. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. Not only does it keep going, but it, it doesn't, I now can't, I take my finger off the button and it doesn't stop. It keeps going. 
it's on film. Everybody's screaming. I have a line of sight down from the floor that I'm at through the bay into the outside where I can see the director of Lowell Observatory. I'm freaking out. My advisor is freaking out. Luckily, my advisor is a theorist. My advisor at the time um, was a theorist, super, super chill. He, there's a power switch on the wall. He, I, he was, in my mind, in my memory, this is more than 10 years ago, he's standing right next to it within arm's reach. He just turns around and slaps the power switch to cut off the power. Nice. To the, to the crane. Oh, that was the fastest exit I've ever made. And so my advisor drives me down the hill in, in the pickup truck and tells me that it's okay and that it's, you know, it's, everything's going to be fine. And then, oh, he you was know, lying, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was lying. He was probably, yeah. I know it. You like, now broke I do. an observatory. Okay. Like, I was probably, you know, how, he was afraid for his say? job. Yeah. It was, you know, and that. I, I was mortified. I was so 100% mortified. I, you know, we went back to his office and people came by and were like, it's okay. It's okay. It'll be okay. Um, I found out later that it was actually wired backwards. And so that it was supposed to like turn off the power when you hit that switch right. and it kept the power on when the, when the hook hit that switch. And so I like my advisor started calling me crane wreck. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Which is very, very clever theorist. Yeah. Um, but I wanted a safety inspector badge because in, in reality, if that had happened while there was an instrument on the telescope, on that crane, about to go up to the telescope, that would have been very bad. That would have been. And so, but, oh my gosh, the shards of metal flying. It is on film somewhere. Emily. I have never seen it. You are the Homer Simpson of I, observatories. <laughs> yeah. The inanimate <laughs> carbon rod. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's my that's my story of when I broke something. That's uh, that's a great story. <laughs> I think it saved more money than it cost in the long run. Yeah, yeah, probably, it was yeah. it was mortifying. Yeah. I think we all have a lot of those stories. Nice. All right, let's move on to Matt Eli from Facebook, who says, "What scientific field is least isolated in the ivory <sighs> tower?" And has the strongest connection to the common man. Look at you, waxing philosophic yeah. Matt Eli. I feel like this could be an answer to a lot of cosmic queries, but there's an XKCD cartoon for that. <laughs> <laughs> so XKCD, X, it's just XKCD.com, uh, written by this fantastic genius named uh, Randall Monroe, is the nerd web comic. A nerd. I guess there's more than one, but it's like probably the pinnacle. Like I don't even get the references sometimes. There's separate websites that are explainer websites if you don't get the references for xkcd.com. But there is one for this particular topic that shows the applicability of the different sciences. And it's, you know, it's, I think the, the and I, I tend to agree with it, like the most ex uh, applicable are over on the left, things like psychology, sociology, mm. like literally the study of people, biology, neuroscience. And then you have things like chemistry, you know, ecology that don't necessarily involve this direct study of people, that, but directly, How definitely, it impacts them. yeah, certainly affect people. Um, and then you have things like physics and then, and that's a little ways away and then, like, the the comic expands and the very last panel is everybody over in one corner and, like, the theoretical mathematician is way <laughs> off in the corner like, I didn't see you guys over there. <laughs> um, but that's the, I, I think it's also a little bit of a matter of opinion, and that's one of the beautiful things. I, I also think that that's something that we struggle, a lot of people, with as astronomers. Right. Because it's like, what does it matter if we know these things? It doesn't feed people. It doesn't 
you know, keep people healthy or safe. It feeds the soul. Yeah, I think yes. that's our, that's the answer that we tend to come with, um, uh, come up with is that it feeds the soul and it feeds our our big questions. Right. And and, and listen, if you're not a, uh, asking those big questions, you're not a human being. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's also a luxury. It's you're definitely a luxury a though, to be able to answer those questions. I think. Uh, yeah. what, I Maybe it was Neil, uh, or maybe he was quoting somebody. Neil who? Uh, Just, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's very funny. Our benevolent overhost, as very, I call him. Very funny. Um, said that uh, uh, the difference between uh, probably us and every other animal in the in the plains of whatever uh, is that we looked up. Except yeah. for the animals that look up. There are animals that look up. Like, there are animals that supposedly use the Milky Way to navigate. Um, I think at one point there was a Twitter discussion about uh, spiders among astrophysicists on Twitter. And I think they decided that there's a, now I can't remember the type of spider, but I think it happened because some spiders fell out of somebody's office at the <laughs> University of Washington. And they decided that those spiders could potentially see the Milky Way. Really? Yeah, because their eyesight is that good. That's very cool. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to say that's cool. I'm also going to, you know, say that. How do you know? <laughs> the biology. That's true. That's true. It's One on of those, Twitter. We'll find it. That's further down the it's list, a, it's right? It's on the internet. It's got to be true. There you go. Yeah. All right. Let's do one more. And because he calls you out by name, well, we'll go with okay. uh, Matt Madison, who says, Hi, Emily. This that's is me. Matt, Matt from the Manchester, UK. Hello, Matt. Where would you point people who want to take part in citizen science for the very first time? Such as websites, places, etc. Yeah, uh, the great website that I know about, especially for astronomy, but it's been it's also expanded way beyond astronomy. Is Zooniverse dot org, Zooniverse so Z O O N I V E R S E dot O R G. It's fantastic. It started out as Galaxy Zoo, which was a product of the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, which um, Karen Masters was here talking with us about both uh, Galaxy Zoo and the Sloan Digital Sky Survey. But now it's expanded. They've got penguins. They've got snapshot Serengeti. They've got um, boat logs to help determine weather patterns from centuries ago. There's all kinds of – so it's science and all fields of science as well as the arts and humanities and, and things like that. And so Zooniverse is the main one that I know of. Um, but also check out local if you want to do something more in person instead of online. Check out your local museum. You know, there's there's especially at the Museum of Natural History up the street here. There's bio identification, not even bio, but everything identification days. Right. There's projects that you can participate in. There's things like bio blitz where you can download an app onto your phone and take pictures of things living things and then how and then if if the website can't identify it other experts can identify it and then it gets tagged as you know i saw this particular thing in this location and that can be used for research um so there's a lot of things that are, that are a little bit more hands-on than just sitting at your computer tagging things super cool yeah there's well, a lot out there well hey matt there you go man that's uh uh, I, I think that's more uh, – but is any of this stuff in the U.K.? Because I heard they don't have science there. <laughs> They're getting it there. They're getting it a little bit late, yeah. And we'll get th we'll get all three episodes of their, their series that started it, exactly. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This has been Star Talk All-Stars with myself, Emily Rice, and my comedic co-host, Chuck Nice. That's right. Keep asking questions. <laughs> <laughs>